This is Proxilla Radio, the UK's first dedicated progressive rock music radio network. You're listening to Tabletop Genesis, a podcast by Genesis fans for Genesis fans. Hi there, this is Mike Lord. This is Tom Roche. And you're listening to Tabletop Genesis. Today we have a very special guest with us. We're going to have a conversation with a journalist named Jaleesa Castrodale, who has written recently two articles. Yay, bravo! Two <laughs> articles that have shown up in Vice, the online magazine, I guess you could call it, about both Genesis and then talking to Nick Collins directly. And I just wanted to point out... Uh, before Jalissa speaks, that she said, like, if you ever want to kill an hour, ask a Genesis fan, and I'm including myself here, for the thoughts about the evolution of that band sound. Actually, you better have two hours. So, Jalissa, this is your two hours to talk about Genesis. (laughs) Welcome to Tabletop Genesis. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. The first question I have, and, and again, this will be much more conversational, but just to start things off here, was it difficult to get your editors, colleagues, advice on board about writing not one but two articles about Genesis? You know, surprisingly, it was not. When I pitched the first article just about Genesis being a great band, I mean, that was, I'll admit that it was a little selfish on my part because I'm thinking, you know, I have never written about this band and this is, you know, I feel like my window is closing, you know, when when I can pitch this. So I suggested it to the editor and she said, yeah, let's, let's give it a go. And then, um, you know, a couple of weeks later I came back with the Nick Collins piece and apparently the response to the first Genesis piece had, had been so great that, you know, it was, it was kind of an easy sell and, you know, it's a, it's a cool story with Nick. I mean, you know, as far as his career, what he's doing, you know, it's it's hard to ignore who his dad is, but you know, I I thought it was a, a neat story to tell, and he was completely generous with his time and was a great interview. So it was a it was a surprisingly easy sell. But I think maybe I have uh, I've burned all of my Genesis pitches with that <laughs> publication. So you know, if anyone else needs an article about the band, then let me know. But I think Vice has a two Genesis article maximum. In their <laughs> uh, their bylaws. <laughs> that's right. That's their that's their quota. They've hit it for the year. I, I loved it. It was it came out mid December. The article was called "It's Time to Admit That Genesis Has Always Been a Great Band," which for me it's always time to admit that. Uh, <laughs> but it was funny. I had relatives posting that link on my Facebook timeline saying, "Did you see this, Tom? Did you see this?" Because they know what a big fan I am. So I think that's how we've first got uh, introduced to you and the, the two great things about this article was one as mike said it's it's rare to see genesis given such love from an article i, I think even they say they haven't been fond with the critics but this wasn't a critic writing the article uh and the second thing which was great is that you knew know the band 
Like this was a true fan writing. I probably bet you didn't have to look up any of the details that you wrote about the band. <laughs> and I'm used to reading articles where they get timelines wrong. They get band members wrong. They get this wrong. And you're like, come on, guys, just get it right. So this was a really good breath of fresh air just to, to you could really see the love and uh, admiration for these guys that we all share. So it was kind of like our sisters writing this you know, our brethren, our sisters is, is writing this and it was just really nice to read. And I think that was a lot what a lot of the fans felt, too. Well, it's it's nice to hear you say that. I mean, because I mean, first of all, I am a massive fan of the band. I mean, they've been a part of my life for, you know, as long as anything, uh, including my terrible skin and social anxiety. So, I mean, we have a very long history. And also, I mean, you know, this is a band that their fans carry care deeply about them. I mean, I feel like there aren't at this point, there aren't a lot of casual Genesis fans. I mean, you're, you're in it because you're in it. So I, I knew that it was important to get all of those details, right? Because I know there are people like me that, and this is very true. I read a piece by another journalist a few weeks ago, and he said that Tony Banks played a Fairlight synthesizer. And I sat staring furiously at my email, uh, you know, at my inbox going, do I write him and tell him that that absolutely didn't happen? Or do I just, do I just let it go? So, <laughs> so what did you do? Did you write or did you let it go? I just posted about it on social media and then <laughs> walked away. But that, get it out of your head. You know, that's, <laughs> that's how you right. purge it. You know, you kind of said, I did my due diligence. This is out there for the writer if he wants to find it. And if not, then you don't have to worry about it. There. Yeah, so. I, you know, I could have very easily sent, you know, 700 furious words about it. But I chose to just, you know, to just leave it at 280 Twitter characters. Right. You mentioned just being a fan of the band for a long time. How did you get into the band? What was your gateway into Genesis? You know, I have thought about this, and I honestly, I think the first time I was ever aware of the band at all was seeing the Land of Confusion video on MTV <laughs> when I was a kid. And, it, you know, there was something that, I mean, I was, you know, six maybe um, when that video came out. And there was something really compelling about it, but also kind of frightening as a child because, you know, you're like, oh, these are puppets, but this is not you know, Jim Henson's world. So um, that, that I think was the first time that I was actually aware of them. And I was always really into music as a kid in a way that is maybe weird for a kid that is not musical. I mean, I, I never played really any musical instrument, but I was always very, very uh, big into music and top 40 and MTV and all that stuff. So I think the next time that I was actually kind of sort of made aware of them was when the Disney Channel aired a documentary about making We Can't Dance, the No Admittance documentary. And I watched that again kind of recently, and I was just hit with like, what a weird thing that is for like a 10-year-old to get really fixated on. Because, I mean, first off, they, they sort of shot it. It almost seems like a nature documentary because at the very beginning, there's this black and white footage and they make it sound like they've just stumbled across this recording studio in the middle of nowhere. But, you know, you have Phil Collins talking about the, you know, the inspiration for No Son of Mine and Mike Rutherford is talking about, you know, what prompted him to write Dreaming While You Sleep. And those are really heavy things for like an elementary schooler. But 
for whatever reason, I was just, I was really drawn to them. And one of the very first CDs I ever bought was We Can't Dance. And I still have a, a lot of, a lot of time and a lot of affection for that record. And then I just sort of worked my way backwards. And I was, I, I mean, just, just hooked. And I think back and I think about some of my classmates and stuff and they, you know, they had posters of like Jonathan Taylor Thomas on their walls. And I have these like 40 year old dads pinned to, <laughs> pinned to my bedroom wall, which probably should have been some sort of warning sign for my parents. But. Well, that's interesting because it's like, we all have, for people who get really into probably any band really, or any author or any kind of actor or genre or whatever it might be, there are those things where you kind of, like your friends don't understand you about it or it's like, or they understand it because they have their own thing, but they just don't get your slice of it. And I think that's, that's something that has become a lot easier now, both with whether it's podcasts or online, you know, communities, Tom and I met because on the official website, there was a forum and, and we met through that. So have you made connections with people? You talked about this in, in the article about the Reddit genesis subgroup or whatever the official terminology is for that have you what connections have you made with kind of the fandom about this both from your articles and just from going to these shows and going to things that going whether it's you know the the recent band concerts or any solo shows you've been to how have you connected with other like-minded people well, that's that's very funny because you uh, you mentioned the subreddit. I, I reached out to a couple of people on the subreddit when I was writing that that first piece because I was really interested how younger fans got into the band. You know how twenty year olds that are going to these shows got into them since you know it's been since we can't dance that they've released you know any any studio albums. So it was really interesting because the majority of people who were let's say under thirty first heard of Phil Collins and Genesis through the Tarzan soundtrack, which I was, you know, too, too old for that. So I missed out on that. So I, you know, I was really interested to talk to, to some of these 20 somethings and they sort of started with Tarzan and then worked their way backwards, which I thought was, was cool. Actually, when I went to the show in Boston, I ended up with a second ticket to the show that I didn't anticipate. And I reached out to one of the, the folks that I had spoken with on the subreddit and he lived in Boston. And I said, hey, do you wanna to come to the show? He had been to the first show. And I said, would you like to come to the second show? And then at that show, I met some people that I had talked to on some of the Genesis Facebook groups. So it was, yeah, it was a cool opportunity to get to meet some of these folks that I only knew by usernames or profile pictures. That was probably my experience when, you know, I, I got into them when I was in high school and, and it just kept on going. And but I was the only one who loved the band as much as I did. Like I, no one else did. Yeah, they remembered them from the We Can't Dance days and they kind of dropped off their fandom. But it wasn't until I think it was 97 when I went to see uh, the musical box at Irving Plaza and I was surrounded by all these people who were just like me and it was just like, I finally come home and this is my moment and these are my people. And we just stood there and sang along to every song. And I think that's part of it. It's like, this is a band that isn't really top of people's minds, but when you find someone who it means as much as it does to you, it's, it's a connection that is, it's hard to describe, but 
it's really unique. They're such a unique band. Their fans are unique. I don't know what else to say. They're just, it's, <laughs> I love Genesis. I, I do too. And I honestly, I, I tried really hard to convert some of my friends when we were in junior high. That's a classmate, that's, that's yeah, a a classmate recently reminded me that when she and I would talk on the phone, I would sometimes put the phone up to the stereo when I was playing Genesis. Like, you know, just give me three minutes and let's, let's see if we can you know, talk some sense into you. How can you not like this? (laughs) I think it just meant that, you know, I was off everybody's birthday party list. They were like, oh God, here she, here she comes with that CD again. He's going to give me a Genesis album to listen to. In high school, I tried playing back in New York City to a friend of mine and she's like, oh, he's just screaming. What, what's wrong with him? Like, why why is it? I was like, all right, get away from me. (laughs) I can't convert you. You're not. You do have to find that right gateway yeah. drug to get Maybe back in New York City wasn't the right one. Yeah. I still think Seconds Out is a good way to get people into the older stuff because it's still Phil singing a lot of that stuff. And at least for people who lived through the 80s, there's that familiar voice to hang on, even if it's singing about stranger things than you're used to. It's funny, you mentioned the Tarzan thing. At the one of the New York shows, I think it was the first New York show I went to, there was this guy sitting next to me. And he was shouting for Tarzan often during the show. And I was like, Jesus Christ. I was like, is this just, is this guy being ironic or is he being drunk or, and it was getting it to the point of being a bit annoying, but then maybe halfway through the show, like during one of the breaks, when he shouted Tarzan, I hear him turn to his friend who he was with and he goes, I just really love that song. And I was like, Oh, he's not being ironically dumb about this. He might not understand that Genesis doesn't really play solo songs when they do their own tours and stuff. But it's just like, he's being at least genuine in his love of this. And I appreciated that. I still wanted to turn and say, please stop yelling <laughs> to Tarzan. But I, but I didn't. I held back. But it was just, it's, it's interesting that when you pointed that out in your article it kind of clicked for me that I was like, yeah, for, for these younger people, they have a different gateway into this, but they still found their way into going to a Genesis tour in 2021. I had no idea how widespread that was. And I, I asked my boyfriend's daughter is 21. And I asked her, I said, you know, what's the first thing you think of when you think of Phil Collins? And she said, without hesitation, Tarzan. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I mean, however, however you get in the door, I'm glad to have these people come in the door. There used to be a there used to be a period when uh, I would tell people I'm into Genesis and Phil Collins, and when they would say, "Oh, the, the Tarzan guy," I was like, every time someone says that, an angel loses its wings. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> it just because because you know going back, we're like, there's so much more. But as as you said, however you get into it, and if it, it opens the door for you to go back and explore his solo stuff. Genesis stuff, that's a good thing. Don't you cry Cause you'll be in my heart Yes, you'll be in my heart From this day on Now and forever And so how did you get into like getting in through We Can't Dance, did you have that moment of figuring out, oh, this guy Peter Gabriel was in Genesis? Like, how did that happen? Like, did you, I think a lot of Genesis fans 
of our era who were not around in the 70s have that moment of, oh, wait, there's more to this band than I knew. Like, there's much more of a history, even pre-Land of Confusion, pre-Mama, pre-That's All, that's like, oh, there's more to this. So, so what was that like for you? Yeah, that was a very gradual thing, um, because at that time, when I was originally getting into the band, I mean, Peter Gabriel was the sledgehammer guy. You know, um, I mean, he was just another guy whose videos were on MTV all the time. So, I mean, I really, I really did have to kind of work my way backwards, sort of piece at a, a one piece at a time. And yeah, I, I don't recall knowing or realizing like when that penny dropped that, you know, oh, wait a second, the, the sledgehammer big time guy is actually in this band as well. But I, I grew up in a really rural uh, area. I'm originally from West Virginia. So, I mean, there wasn't a, uh, you know, a lot of, um, a, a lot of the stuff that I picked up came from used CD stores, you know, because there wasn't like a huge music store or something where you were going to be able to find the band's entire back catalog and in, in one swoop. So yeah, it was just, it was just one record at a time that I would get into and, and then kind of work my way, work my way back. And yeah. And you also then obviously for the listeners out there, uh, Jaleesa is wearing an awesome Tony Banks fugitive t-shirt. Uh, I'm so jealous of it. So obviously you've explored their solo careers as well, which is a whole another venue of, of music. Yeah. I, and I tell you what, I mean, I have a lot of time for Tony Banks's solo career. I have a lot of time for Tony Banks, period. I just, I think he is so underappreciated in a way. But yeah, I mean, I I really enjoy his his solo albums kind of for, for what they were. And I, I like to think in the way that he hoped that people would enjoy them. I mean, you know, he's a, an incredible lyricist. He's a great arranger and, and instrumentalist, obviously. And yeah, I mean, I've I really have a soft spot for a lot of those a lot of those albums. And I mean, if I am ever asked to give a TED talk, I think it will probably be on an island in the darkness and why that may be the best song he ever wrote outside of Genesis. So what an incredible piece of music that is. I actually, I just forced my boyfriend to drive around for literally 20 minutes last night so we could play it in the car. I was like, you're, you're going to love this, I think, maybe. <laughs> and, and, and did he? Yeah, he, he actually okay. did. I mean, yeah, he stayed in the car, which is good. Okay. And, you know, we, we didn't have to have a, uh, you know, like a, a difficult conversation when I parked. Uh, <laughs> so there was, not an, there was not an intervention after the fact well, of like, that's, you're really that's right. But, you only stayed in the car because you locked the doors and you wouldn't let him out. Yeah, well, <laughs> I feel like we've we've been together long enough that, you know, I feel like you know, I can play a song where you don't hear a guitar until like the 13th minute. I, that is not something I would recommend on a, you know, second date, but, but yeah, incredible track. I, I, on the third date after that, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. It. On the third date, break out a curious feeling and just yeah. see, see how it goes. I, I love <laughs> It's a good test of any relationship. I love, I love, I love your line from the first article about Tony Banks, where you said, I will still champion his less less appreciated rock albums with an enthusiasm that will make you wish we'd never made eye contact. <laughs> it's true. 100% yep. true. <laughs> so what is your is is The Fugitive your favorite of Tony's albums or what it what would or does that change on a daily basis depending upon your own kind of thoughts and feelings about it? Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, I have told people before that my favorite Genesis record is whatever record I'm listening to at the time. And I think there's there's a lot of that with with Tony too because you know, it 
I mean, obviously, all of his albums are very much Tony Banks records, but with the kind of changing roster of of singers, you get a different feel and sort of a different interpretation for his songs. So, you know, there are there are times when I love a curious feeling or when I want to hear the fugitive. I, I was playing that one last night as well. And, you know, I love those, I love those songs with Nick Kershaw, you know, but every time I hear those, I'm like, why wasn't this a hit? You know, I mean, why, why wasn't this huge? Because it seemed to have all of the ingredients that a lot of songs that, you know, in a way feel like they were grown out of the same soil really became successful. And, you know, it's just like, why, why didn't this catch on? Because, because it's great. I think Tony probably has asked that question a lot to himself too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I can't remember which, which documentary or which interview it was, but I, I do remember Tony Smith saying that Genesis was Tony Banks solo career in a way. And, you know, when you look at, I mean, I, again, I obviously think the band was, was and has been underappreciated, but like, if you look at which songs were nominated for Grammy awards, I mean, they were instrumental. They were Second Home by the Sea and The Brazilian. And, you know, I like to think that maybe Tony feels rewarded in that way. You know, like, hey, that was that was my song that is, you know, losing out to uh, the Top Gun soundtrack. Right. <laughs> or, or some Rush song at that point, probably. Yeah, too, to, a, to a Rush song. I think I think one of them did lose uh, lose out to uh, to a Rush track, and one of them it was it was like the tar- the Top Gun theme song. Well, that's I was so personally gratified that besides Phil, I think Tony got the biggest round of applause at the shows that I was at anyway. Yes, where I was just like. Oh, the people again. The people. If you're going to a Genesis show in 2021, you know that quiet guy who barely looks up on behind the keyboards is incredibly important to this band. And just just having those moments, just as a fan, I was like, oh, I'm glad that I'm glad he's getting that moment. So even if he doesn't necessarily show much appreciation for it visibly, it's like, oh, he's that's the equivalent of Tony Banks smiling and like putting his hands up in the air just to be kind of nods at the audience a little bit. Yeah. That, that very uh, almost imperceptible head nod is like his equivalent of just doing a back handspring across the stage. So I, I love it. I mean, I, I did love, uh, I loved hearing that in Boston. I went to the show in Boston and, uh, and also in Raleigh and it was the same thing. I mean, he got so much love and appreciation and, you know, but again, I mean, uh, the majority of the people that were at those shows are people that that know the band and know what what he has always meant to that group. So it's almost like an unwritten agreement between all the fans that were there. Like, let's applaud until we see Tony crack a smile. Like, let's keep it going. <laughs> how how long until he breaks? <laughs> and I think he did occasionally. Like, cause Phil would look up at him, like kind of smiling, like this is for you. And Tony would be like, <laughs> yeah. That's I, that's why I'm here. So you know that's it's it's funny. I, like I was I was at that last Boston show also, and it was just one of those moments. I mean, just the just the whole show, and even Phil. I don't know if he said it on the first night, talking about that Boston was the first place that they played in the U.S. And so I I kind of hope it was intentional that they ended in Boston that way because. You know, initially when I when I made plans to go to that Boston show, it was going to be the last show of the entire tour. Mm-hmm. It was it was when the UK shows were going to be back in whatever whenever that was October or whatever. 
And I was like, if this is the last time these guys are on stage together, I kind of want to be there for this. And so it was, you know, at least in the U.S. And now, like, you know, with the London shows being that way, I'm I'm working. I have plans. But it's just like, you know, it's it's kind of like, oh, that that's going to be a moment. And so it's like it's it's an interesting. Not that any not that any fandom ends, but it's like, but you want to be there for those type of things. You talk about in in your article about kind of fading lights being written as you don't know it's the last time when you're doing it, rarely. And so that's, but for these shows, it kind of is, I mean, again, who knows if they would tour later on or something? Probably not, but, you know, it, it's very likely to be the last time of things. So I think that emotion comes through in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, it's like that. I, I don't recall who Phil was speaking to. Maybe the BBC. I, I think it was a British uh, outlet where he said it, it feels like we're putting this to bed. And, you know, I, I mean, there is that kind of melancholy, I guess. I mean, in some ways, the, these were the first shows I had ever been to. I'd never seen the band uh, in concert before. So, I mean, it's you know, it's a really uh, joyous occasion in, in that respect, because, you know, it's it's the first time you're in the room with these guys. But at the same time, you're like, well, there, there's not going to be another opportunity, maybe. So yeah, I mean, and with that said, I have I have tickets to two of the three shows in London, because I am a completely ridiculous person. <laughs> and I've, I've thought about getting tickets for the third show, just, just because again, you're like, there, there's not going to be another chance. Most likely. Is, is the third show the last show? Uh, no, I have tickets for the Thursday and Saturday shows. Okay. And I was looking at tickets for the Friday night and some of them on like reseller sites are like six grand. And I'm like, Ooh. for six grand, I should be able to sit on Tony's shoulders for the yes. duration. You know, exactly. like so. I get to press one key at some right. point. Yeah. I get to press a yeah. single you, key. You get to play it solo at home by the sea. Exactly. <laughs> so. You get to be on stage at that point. So yeah, yeah, yeah that's, if it wasn't the last show, Six thousand might be worth it for the last show. If you can get something for that Friday show reasonably, I would say go for it. Because especially if you're going to be there already, here's me. Yeah, I'm what, the devil, on, I'm the devil on your shoulder saying, "Oh, go do it, go do it, spend the money. It's not my cash." So. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't take a lot of encouragement at all. And you know, I mean, what what else am I going to do except walk around London wishing I was at the O2 that night? Right. I mean, yeah. That's what I did in O7 at the Hollywood Bowl. I had gone out there to see. I take us to the second to last show and I'm like, the last night of the tour is tomorrow night. I'm here in LA. What am I going to do? So I ended up scalping a ticket and it wasn't bad. It was like in like the first 10 rows. And I was just like, this could be the last Genesis show ever. And when they took a bow, it was really moving. I mean, little did I know that it wasn't the last Genesis show, but for at the time it was, and it felt really like, so I'll be the other devil. You have two devils, one on each shoulder. Like both <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, to do it. Go, go to the third yeah. show. So, so what was it like, kind of, you know, when you talked to to Nick Collins for for the most recent article? Was it? What I'm trying to formulate exactly what my question is. Besides, like, was it cool talking to him? The article that you wrote did a really good job of of showing his sense of appreciation for what he's doing. And what he's able to do playing the drums in his dad's band with his dad sitting right there and everything. Can, can you talk a little bit about just from your conversation with him, kind of what 
what that felt like talking to him about that. Like, how much, do, like, how did his, what's his reflection like about that? Was he really able to articulate that with you? Well, I, I think first, first of all, I think he is, I, I get the feeling that both of them feel very appreciative that they have this opportunity to play together, Phil and Nick. And that is something, I mean, I included this in the piece, but it was something that had, had stuck in my head for a long time was in Phil's autobiography, where he says, you know, a billion dollars to reform Genesis wouldn't get me back on the road, but a chance to play with my boy might. And I think that it's just so valuable for the two of them that they do have this, this tour together. But I feel like, I mean, Nick is a, an incredible drummer. I mean, I loved what he brought to the band. I loved, I mean, they, they seemed like a rock band on this tour. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that is, is credit to Nick. Uh, because he really, uh, you know, kind of in, reinvigorated them in a way. And and there was another funny funny thing that he said where he was trying to be very, uh, to pay a lot of homage and to pay a lot of respect to the way the songs were written. Where, I, I mean, he told me, he said, you know, there are 50 years worth of fans who want to hear these songs the way they want to hear these songs. They're not there to hear me improvise. You know, they can they could go to his band, Better Strangers, to hear him change up the fills every night. But early in rehearsals, they were they were working on the musical box. And Tony told him he said he was playing it very much like the record, very straight. And Tony said at the end of their run through, Tony said that, you know, that was great. But could you make it not sound like 1971? So <laughs> I think for him, it was just a, a matter of finding that balance between being Nick Collins, the drummer, and being Nick Collins as Phil Collins, the drummer. And I thought he did an incredible job for it, uh, or an incredible job with it. And, you know, and we did talk about that, that moment during the show where Phil walks back and sits on the drum riser and, and watches him, and how that has become just really, I mean, it's obviously, it's a beautiful moment for the crowd, but it's become kind of a, a special thing for them, too, where they kind of look at each other and nod at each other and sort of acknowledge that, you know, that they're both there, I would imagine, that, they, that, they, that they're taking that time. I mean, there may be 20,000 people surrounding them, but at that moment, you feel like it's just a dad and his boy enjoying doing something they both love. And it's, uh, yeah, I mean, that was one of those things that I think made these shows really special. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest credit that I could give to Nick at one point was when I first saw the first show, the, the first show that I saw when he was playing with, uh, with Phil, was actually over in Paris, and it was like, oh, within five minutes, I didn't have to think about the drums anymore. Because not that he was not playing them well or anything, but that I was like, oh, he showed very quickly that he can handle this job. And that there was no nothing like, oh, how is he's only 17 years old or however old he was at the time. What's it going to be like? It was like, oh, no, he's fine. It was like, that is, he's doing well. And the same thing with the Genesis show. I, I knew that he'd be great at it, but, you know, within that first song, listening to him play, and I'm just like, yeah, this is going to be fine. This is not going to be an issue in any way, shape, or form. And hearing him both play, it's still kind of silly to call it the new stuff versus the old stuff, because even <laughs> the new stuff is 30 years old at this point. But the, the later stuff versus the earlier stuff, it was like, he just really knew how to play for that music. And, and you're right, he made them a rock band. And I don't think Setting Home by the Sea have been played it sounded great with him playing behind the drum. Yeah. Like that, so. 
Yeah, that was that's my, that was that's a real my standout. rant about it. Yeah. No, seriously. I mean that that song was a a real standout for me as well. I mean because he just, you know, I mean he just anchored that entire performance in a lot of ways. And yeah, I I feel like he was a real credit to that group. And you know, I yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so he was great. So so yeah. So the there's some there are some of those moments in the show where I'm like. Oh, he he plays this just like his dad, quote unquote. But it's but it's not just like his dad. But it's 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 it still does have his own stamp on it. My thing about tribute bands, and I've said this to Tom at times, it's like it's like if I want a carbon copy, I'll go see the Musical Box, which is both a compliment to them, but also saying that's kind of what they're there for. They're there to kind of do that copy of what genesis was but both you know genesis and steve hatcher with the tours he's been doing like i'm like they're not museum shows they're it's the music in in the present moment it's not a carbon copy and i think that gets to what tony was saying about make it not sound like 1971 is that don't make it a carbon copy of what it was you can play obviously the music is the same but you can bring it into a different era of playing with that yeah, and I think that shows uh, some of the confidence that Tony and and Mike, I mean, Mike has, has been really complimentary about Nick in interviews as well, but I think that shows how much confidence they have in him. I mean, because obviously they, I'm sure they're very exacting in how they expect the band to sound and how they want the band to sound, especially after, you know, after all of this time and on this tour, but kind of giving Nick that leeway to say, you don't have to play it like the record. Like we trust you to play this, how you, how you think it should be played in a way. I think that that's just an incredible testament to, to his skill and his ability and, and what he really brings as a drummer. I can't believe I used the word testament in a sentence. That's just. <laughs> You're allowed. You know? We oh, like wow. have elevated language on our podcast. That's totally fine. So you also talked about that, you know, there's, aspects of whenever you're listening to this music again you know whether it's band or solo there's always new things to appreciate is there and maybe you answered this a little bit with your island in the darkness answer but is there is there something that's speaking to you now that's kind of like that's kind of jumped up with you more recently where you're like oh i didn't think about this like my example is on random autoplay the other day just yesterday in fact into deep came up which Into Deep is not one of my favorite Genesis songs. It's fine. It's it's a nice ballad and everything. Have no problems with it, other than it maybe goes on a little bit too long. But I realized listening to it, like right before it goes into the chorus, it's like there's an extra beat or two going into the chorus where I was like, oh, I never really heard that before. That it's like it gets lengthened to make, you know, whether it's the bit of the lyric work or just to have the music stretch out a little bit more. And I was like, oh, that's neat. And I was like, I can't believe I've heard this song for 30 years and I never really noticed this before. <laughs> and so that's my kind of, and, and I thought about actually your article and chatting with you today about like, oh, that's an example of something that's, that is a song I've heard forever. And I just kind of consciously noted that now. So is there anything like that? Either it's that a song that's, you know, really kind of resonating with you right now or just something that's, that's been more recent for you. That's oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there are always things like that because, I mean, obviously, I think what everyone has kind of recognized as their strength is they they could take a very complex idea and make it enjoyable and make it catchy and make it memorable. But they they were also so good at making very simple things sound 
more innovative than they are. I mean, some of their songs, they're in 4-4, but the way the, the lyrics are phrased or the way that they're played, they sound so much more involved than they, than they are. I mean, it, it could be a deceptively simple track and maybe in the hands of some other musicians, it would be very simple. But for these guys, I mean, it just sounds incredible. But but there will be lyrics that that will catch me. Uh, one of the ones that that kind of hit me the other day, I was listening to Domino and that, um, you know, you never did see such a terrible thing as we saw last night on TV. Maybe if we're lucky, they'll they'll show it again. I mean, that that feels so relevant now, you know, with our kind of 24 seven saturated media of which I am a willing participant. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, you know, I thought, wow, like that's that's such a, a great observation in that song. And one of the other things that hits me is is just how funny they could they can be. I mean, I kind of feel like every just about every album has one track that or yeah, just one track that is that is kind of I mean, not silly, but it's a little more lighthearted in a way. And I, I was listening to The Lamb the other day and Counting Out Time just cracks me up mm. every single time. That that line about, I'll get my money back from the bookstore right away. You know, <laughs> I I read this entire book and I'm still a complete failure with this woman. So it's obviously the book's fault. I, I just love that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, that's what makes them so endearing, especially like in those early kind of prog years, is that there was so much humor without being twee or without being really i mean without being silly um i mean even a song like the giant hogweed is you know it's fun without being kind of cloying so yeah i mean i just i think that's a real testament to them as as writers and and musicians as well so i said testament again i don't know what this is <laughs> it's, now it's a sunday we're we're talking to, talking about genesis you know it's a testifying kind of kind of thing here so. i can honestly say i've not spoken that word aloud ever before <laughs> and now i'm just gonna throw it in let's let's see what other there you go what other voc vocab i can add to this conversation one of the, one of the lines that I liked from uh, the first article, uh, you talked about Mike Rutherford's commitment to leather pants, <laughs> <laughs> which which goes nicely into uh, an aspect which we really haven't uh, talked a lot about. Maybe hinted at it when we talked about some live shows, but their wardrobe and what we like and don't like in their wardrobe. Uh, Jalisa, you had sent Mike a list of your top favorite or top worst Tony Banks outfits. Oh no, these are these are top there are no, five. There are, there are no, no worst. worst. <laughs> there are no worst choices. Yeah, I I mean I'm uh, I'm going I for have, memory I have here. them I have them right here that I can read out. Um, your favorite Tony ensembles, the classic rub, rugby shirts. Oh, the rugby shirts. Yeah, you can't you. Can, I mean that's that's unassailable. Tony Banks, right there, are the rugby shirts. And um, then we have the phase where I think at, at some point all of them wore hockey sweaters and yes. they were all like just a smidge too small was just gave it this, <laughs> um, you know, really endearing quality. And um, then we had uh, at number three, we had those, the drapey sports coat era of Tony Banks, <laughs> sort of the, the late eighties. And I feel like the real peak of the, the drapey sports coat was at Nebworth 1990 when it's <laughs> so windy. I mean, like all of their mullets are just kind of fluttering <laughs> in that wind. And Tony, I mean, it just looks like this, 
you know, silk blend cape going behind him, which is as close as he ever got to being Rick Wakeman was this <laughs> exactly. sports coat that's billowing out as they're, you know, playing, playing these medleys. Obviously the, uh, the snorkel from whodunit which i have i have honestly thought and this tells you what kind of a um, a ridiculous person i am i have honestly considered going to the london shows wearing a snorkel um <laughs> just because i want I, I everyone to... <laughs> of that, that so that that would be wonderful so yeah i want everyone to know exactly how cool i am as a as a person um, but then, I mean, I, I don't know that he ever really wore it on stage, but during the uh, We Can't Dance era, uh, Tony had this kind of mock turtleneck sweatshirt that I think he wore for literally every press appearance. And it was just wonderful because, like, I remember they were on Good Morning America or something with, like, Joan London. And, you know, Mike has a suit on. Phil has a suit on and Tony has this sweatshirt. Like Tony looks like he was cleaning his garage and they just called him and they're like, we need you to get down to the studio. And I just, I think it was absolutely fantastic. I mean, that, I, I don't know what, I, may, I mean, maybe he was, uh, you know, performing some sort of under the radar social experiment. I mean, I think he was, you know, at one point he was planning to be a professor. So maybe he was, you know, keeping notes on everyone's reaction to the sweatshirt, but <laughs> Yeah, I have a I have a real soft spot for the uh, for the mock turtleneck sweatshirt. I, I think that snorkel is great because I remember in one of the books about the band there was a picture of Tony playing keyboards on stage wearing this snorkel and maybe a mask, <laughs> and I was just like, "What is that for?" Like, and I couldn't at the time I I probably hadn't seen Three Sides Live or anything like that, so I didn't really know kind of what the weird stuff could be. I'm like, does he just wear that for the entire show? Or is that just like something funny? And so the snorkel definitely has a, uh, a good positive association. So, Oh yeah. That's a, that's a hall of fame item right there. The snorkel. It's, it's a little known fact that that snorkel that he wore during whodunit was the same snorkel used on the Nancy Reagan puppet in the land of confusion video. <laughs> there you're making all these connections, Tom. You have let's your start... whiteboard with your, let's, yeah, let's, I'm going to get my yarn, get my yarn out and just, <laughs> Well, well, this maybe says what type of nerd I am is that I, I don't talk about this much on the podcast, but I, I got a chance to do this web chat back in the days when I was doing stuff for the official site with Mike and Tony out at the farm in 2008. And I specifically wore a rugby shirt to the farm in honor of Tony's choices of wearing rugby shirts in the 1981 era and everything. It was not commented upon, but in my head, I knew that he was giving me a knowing wink, so I felt pretty good about that. So. Yeah, maybe he uh, just filed you in this brotherhood of the rugby shirt or of something. Course. Anyway, that's that's my own kind of happy nerddom and everything. Anything you would like to, that we haven't asked you about this crazy band that we all love, that you would want to talk about? Anything you want to get off your chest about Genesis? You're like, I've always wanted to talk about this. I mean, the fact that I was able to bring up Island of the Darkness and people didn't just start looking for, for the nearest exit. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's a brilliant moment for me. <laughs> that's enough. That, that, yeah. that is a plus there. So, you know, I, I've, I like that song. I don't know what, what Tom would say, but I, I, it's, it's not my favorite Tony track. I, I would still go maybe with something off of The Fugitive when we chatted about that album. I really love a lot of the stuff on that album. Like, I like Island in the Darkness, but sometimes I think it's trying a little bit too hard. 
but I still, but I, I it has grown on me over time. That's yeah, my, I mean, that's my quick analysis about that. But yeah, and I mean, you know, is it is it my absolute favorite track? No, but do I think it's a, a an incredible musical achievement? Absolutely. I just I think all of the all of the elements work really well together. I, I love Jack Hughes's voice on that track. I think that there's a lot that he brings to those to the lyrics and. You know, I mean, like I said, you don't hear a guitar until the very end of the song. And I mean, Daryl Sturmer comes in with this very precise guitar solo, but it, it fits and it, it totally works. So yeah, it's, it's well up there for me. And that's on still? Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, no. it's on the, it's on the Strictly Inc. record. Yeah, Strictly, with, right. with Jack Hughes, yeah. We can edit that out. <laughs> no, that's going to be the promo clip for the show, Tom. You know, I'll just drop in. You can say, I'll do, do this voice of imitating you, Strictly Inc. <laughs> well, I was going to say, when we talk about Strictly Inc., maybe you could be our guest for that album. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I feel like that will... Um, I. You know, there are, those, uh, there are those moments where you sit and you think about kind of about what you're what you're doing and what you're willing to do like in the name of this band or in the name of your fandom or whatever and I had one of those moments a few weeks ago when I was on Discogs which is always kind of a uh, you know that's that's sort of the prelude to danger in a lot of ways when it's late at night and I'm like wow do I need this Japanese pressing of a curious feeling um but the there was a, always uh, yes <laughs> that's a rhetorical question there was a a cassette copy of Strictly Inc. And Strictly Inc. is, is one that I do not own in any format. I mean, I, I just listen to uh, to the streaming uh, versions. But there was a cassette copy of it. And it was in, you know, Slovenia or Poland or somewhere. And, you know, it's like 45 bucks plus $18 shipping. And I'm like, do I... Do I need this? Do I need to add this to my cart? And it's it's been sitting in my in my cart for a long time, but I haven't I haven't actually purchased it. And I'm I'm confident that it is probably still in my cart. So <laughs> even <laughs> so, yeah. If we're if we're gonna talk about it, then I'm like, obviously, I, I need this cassette. <laughs> of course. Uh, well, speaking of other music, there was uh, another article I read of yours, so I wanted to show you something. I was nine years old when this came out, and it was the first LP I ever owned. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Billy Joel. Billy yes. Joel, Glass Houses. And you had written an article about what would make someone get a Billy Joel tattoo or something like that. <laughs> and I I could have been, I was reading all the, the people that you interviewed about this album, and I could have been one of those people. There's just something about that this Glass Houses album that... I, I don't know what it is about it, but it will be like one of my favorite albums that I've ever owned or had. I, it's just something about it, like the nine-year-old in me, and this is an embarrassing story, but we're all friends here. <laughs> it's just the three of us. Just the three of us. When when I had this album, I was nine, my older sister was 10, my younger sister was seven. We would put this on the turntable, my parents' turntable. We would put our arms out like Peter Gabriel in Secret World Live and spin around 
for the entire side one from You May Be Right to All for Lena. And then we would stop and figure out how dizzy. And I have no clue why we did that, but <laughs> it's always resonating with me. And it's just something about the, the tracks as a nine-year-old close to the borderline was probably the hardest, heaviest song I'd ever heard. It mentioned suicide. It mentioned the word bitch. I was like, wow, music can't get heavier than this. uh but it was just something about it and so yeah i i love that article and i could relate to all those people as much as i could to the genesis people you mentioned in that article yeah i tell you what i i appreciate anyone who has that kind of fandom for for anything you know i mean i'm very much in the let people enjoy what they enjoy camp so if that is your favorite record and you want to get a billy joel tattoo then that is freaking awesome do it there are no there are no guilty pleasures in life it is just what you like or what you don't like so you know i i I believe that too it's very yeah i mean and i'm i'm sitting here in my tony banks t-shirt so yeah yeah i mean that's that's really i mean it's just covering up my my tony banks back tattoo but you know i felt like since since we're not doing video i didn't feel like we needed to actually actually show that so it's a it's a back tattoo of the nebworth where his jacket is flowing out right that's right oh yeah yeah i mean like if i if i flex really hard it just it looks like that jacket it is moves. just fluttering fluttering in the wind you're you're giving people ideas now for tattoos so this is now going to be a contest to see who does the best fan art about this on their on their back tattoo i think now. that's right that's right. So, I mean, it took it took several uh, several sittings to get his his little mullet just right, but I feel like it looks, you know, it looks just as buoyant on my back as it did in, yeah. in real life. Exactly. Cool. Um, no, I mean, do you do you guys have Genesis tattoos? Have you have you considered no. it? No, I, I I'm not a tattoo guy, yeah. but uh, yeah, it's just not. It's I no, I I don't have tattoos. I got plenty of stuff so it's like kind of like you like you were talking about buying things or collecting things it's like that's that's where i would put my fandom more in the stuff than in marking up my my person (laughs) about that tom how about yourself i mean i've thought about it but there's nothing that i've wanted on my body permanently in such a way where i would get a tattoo like i would if something came up i it's not like i'd be against it Uh, i think the most Genesis thing I would think about is maybe getting the band's name in the seconds out font somewhere, maybe a tramp stamp. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, we're going to hold you to this now. So. <laughs> but no, so far, I know I have not. Yeah, we'll, we'll go the same day. We'll go All the right. same day and get our Genesis tattoos. Find, find a tattoo parlor in London. On the, if, you don't go to the, if you don't go to the middle show, you have to get a Genesis tattoo. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. Absolutely. That's that's it's an either or. So right. I will I will keep you guys apprised of, of what happens. <laughs> well, this has been wonderful chatting with you today. Yes. Um, we always kind of end the episode with a song playing out. What would you like to have playing playing out? What Genesis or solo track would you like playing out at the end of this uh, end of this uh, show? I know what it'll be. Oh, in the darkness. Island in the darkness. All right. No, I was. No, I was actually. <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna throw a a, a curveball there. I was gonna say Duchess. Ooh, Ooh. all right. Yeah. Duchess is fantastic. So, probably my favorite moments in in the last shows and everything. Yes. We're doing Duchess. So one hundred percent. 
That was uh, both, you know, a wonderful choice, a bit of a surprise, and I was also glad, I think I said this on the last episode, uh, Bill was really into singing that song, too. Yeah. So, you know, it just worked on, again, works on all levels. Yeah, that was that was a great moment. And I uh, I will absolutely admit that I screamed my little head off when I heard the intro to that in Raleigh. I mean, I think I frightened everybody around me. Like, oh God, that we're 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 beside this kind of fan. Amazing. So did you go into the shows unspoiled? You didn't look at set lists online or anything like that? You didn't uh I knew a couple of things that were going to happen during the show, but as far as the full set list, I, I wanted to uh, I wanted to be as as blind as I as I could be about it, you know, just to just to have those moments where you know you hear you hear Duchess or you hear you know Fading Lights or Cinema Show or whatever, and and you get really really excited about it. So so you can have those absolute spontaneous moments of just screaming. <laughs> <laughs> you know, screaming and, and surprise and delight. Like, yeah. Excellent. So, well, again, thank you for being here today. We think this has been great. You know, where can people find your writing? I know you do a lot of writing about food also. When you're not writing about Genesis. And write sports, about right? Food and sports and other areas. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I'm i just a just a freelancer, basically. So, you know, I, I do write for Food & Wine. I, um, you know, kind of cover just food news for them. But um, yeah, I try to try to stay, uh, you know, I'll pitch whoever I think will have me. Uh, <laughs> so if there are any editors listening and they need someone to write about uh, about prog bands, then then I'm your girl or or uh, yeah. So. so and where can people find you online? Yeah, there you go. You know, I, I'm in the process of revamping my um, really bizarre little website. So uh, that is still uh, that's still kind of under construction. But you can find me on, on Twitter. Um, my username is Gordon Shumway, which was Alf's real Alf's name. Alf's real name. Yeah. Yep. So um, again, just all of these, just throwing all of these signals that I am an incredibly cutting edge and cool person. So yeah, you can find me on Twitter. My my uh, Instagram handle is exactly the same, and my email address. Should anyone need a piece about uh, <laughs> an in depth analysis of you know Tony Banks on stage costumes, then yeah, shoot me an email. Excellent. Sounds great. So well, again, thank you for being here. So we will be back with Tabletop Genesis next time with something different. So we don't quite know what yet, but we'll figure it out until we do a lot of advanced planning with this podcast. <laughs> and so I am Mike Lord. Tom Roche. And we will see you next time on Tabletop Genesis. Times were good I she never thought about the future She just did what she would Oh, but she really cared All music We know it all seems so
episode of Tabletop Genesis. Archived episodes can be found at tabletopgenesis.com, along with updates, polls, and various other podcast-related news. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes to have the shows automatically downloaded to your computer when we post new episodes. To keep up with all the Tabletop Genesis activity, follow us on Twitter at Genesis Tabletop. You can like us on Facebook by searching for Tabletop Genesis, and you can email us directly at genesistabletop at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the podcast or send us questions we can address on future episodes.